if uh, you have any seats nearby you, if you could just scoot in. Uh, There's spotty ones around the room uh, for you guys to find. Uh, The encouragement is you never know who you might slide next to if you're single, okay? So just make sure you, you move, okay? Let's... Let's look. I know so many people in here are looking for husbands and wives, so I'm, we're setting it up for you, okay? So just move. Be bold. Just sit next to someone you don't know, okay? That's how it starts. It's called uh, initiation, okay? For those of you who are learning how to date, learning how to uh, approach the opposite sex, you initiate, okay? So uh, that's how we do it here at CAB, all right? Praise God. All right. Uh, really is good to be with you. I am being told, seriously though, if you have some spot, spots between you to scoot in, there's still people uh, uh, coming in. Uh, Bergen Kids, you guys can uh, head out. Looks like you did that. Um, also, just want to clear the air here. Uh, in case you guys are wondering, uh, we did not nominate a new pastor. I just shaved. Okay, so uh, some of you guys walked right by me this morning, didn't even say hi. And uh, you go, oh, I didn't recognize you without your Moses beard. So I didn't, I didn't know that that's what it was. So uh, good to be with you. Happy December. Uh, Merry December. Good to jump into Advent together. Uh, just want to give you guys two things before we roll into the text today. Uh, number one is, uh, you know, we're trying to bend outward as best as we can in this season where it's so self-absorbing and self-centered. And so uh, we did that through Operation Christmas Child. We've also been doing that through serving the Walter Hoving Home, which is uh, the women's ministry that we uh, minister to with women that have been delivered out of addiction, prostitution, and, and other things uh, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is just laying bare on their hearts and doing a wonderful work of regeneration and bringing them to newness of life. So uh, we're putting together 55 bags for that ministry. Um, out at the info desk, we still have a number of things that we need you to sign up for and bring for next Sunday when we put them together. So uh, the Women's Fellowship will be next Sunday here combined with putting those bags together. So make sure you stop at the desk on your way out to sign up for those remaining items that we need uh, so that we can serve and care for uh, those ladies well and give them a really nice Christmas. Many of them don't have one, don't experience it, uh, don't have families nearby or even families that want them uh, to embrace at Christmas time. So it's a great way to demonstrate and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So um, the last thing is that um, if you're new or visiting or been coming to Cab for a recent time, uh, we do Cab Connect every couple months. Our next one's today at noon uh, in the classroom. You get to meet the pastors, hear the story of how God birthed this work and kind of where we're headed, ask questions. So if you're new, I encourage you just to uh, make a point to be there at noon, right in the classroom. Um, just want to say welcome if you're new visiting. I know we get a lot of uh, new faces each week, so we want you to understand what you're witnessing here, what this is. This is, at its simplest form, a worship service where we worship Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, we believe, is the Son of God. He came in human flesh and lived a perfect life and died the death we could not die, taking our sin on himself as our substitute in his place, and then rose, validating he paid it in full, adopts us into his family, gifts us his righteousness, not based on your merits, works, anything that you do, but solely based on the rest rescuing work of Jesus Christ. And so we worship Jesus by singing songs. That's why we were uh, just singing. We sing songs that talk about who he is and what he's done. We worship Jesus by sitting under uh, the scriptures, the Bible. We believe this is God's revelation to us in written form. He reveals himself through creation, through Jesus Christ, and also through his word. So we learn that this word reads us more than we read it, and it's called a mirror that perfects us as we look at it. So uh, we do that. We also uh, worship Jesus by observing the Lord's Supper each week. Uh, It does not gift you righteousness or favor. We 
believe that it is a gift from Jesus to the church to remember the saving benefits we have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, we love to do that together. And then we also worship Jesus by giving because God was the most generous person who or thing that exists in giving us Jesus Christ. We give on the small silver boxes in the back. If you're new, visiting, not a regular attender, we don't want money from you. We want you to know Jesus Christ and be filled with him and know him deeply. Um, So with that in mind, why don't we uh, pray before we get to Genesis 12. If you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to land today. And let's pray and ask God to help us, give us illumination, give us understanding, because there is nothing in you and me that can do that, okay? So uh, no creativity, no ingenuity. doesn't matter about uh, what our grades were in school when you come in this place. Uh, We open up the Bible. We need something outside of us to give us understanding. Uh, So let's ask him to do that right now. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that we have the scriptures, that we can walk with you and know you. Thank you that you're not a God who doesn't speak but speaks loudly so that we can know how forgiveness of sin can be had and how newness of life can be found. God, thank you around this time of Christmas where uh, if we're not careful, we can center ourselves on us, that you'd free us from ourselves and center us on you and center us on the great work that you've done primarily in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us this morning, give understanding where there needs to be. Pray for those who come in this room heavy, laden, burdened, weighed down by anxieties, cares, thoughts, family issues, circumstances that you would allow them to enjoy you over the next few minutes. But God, you give them something that lasts much longer than Christmas for one day, but your son, which is it in its fullness. Help us, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, This is what we're going to do as we've been walking through a series the next five weeks. Normally we take a book of the Bible and just kind of teach through it uh, verse by verse, line by line, so you know all that the scriptures would say to us in God's full revelation, Genesis to Revelation. But uh, what we have is we're doing five weeks of Advent where we're looking at why is the promise of Jesus Christ on Christmas morning such good news, okay? And so um, Advent for Christians is really just uh, the arrival of. So we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus Christ, the arrival that, that God has come in the birth of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And uh, what we're doing is we're doing this amidst a time where there's this kind of over-realized eschatology in the West where we live, where, where we all believe, whether we want to admit it or not, that this time of year is really going to cure everything for us, okay? So uh, this Christmas season, season's where the whole family's going to come together. It's all going to land right. Kids are going to behave. No one's going to yell at each other, spit at each other, bite you. You're going to give that present that they love. They're going to look at you with a glistening eye. All of a sudden, what was fractured will be made whole, maybe for a moment. But if we're all honest, we know chaos comes after the day of Christmas and never lasts after the tree is put away, lights are taken down, and family heads home, right? And so we want to look at something. We want to center our our hearts and minds around something that, that lasts long after all that stuff is put away, and that is found in the advent of Jesus Christ, Um, And that's why we want to think about who he is and meditate on what he has done. And so uh, we split it up. We want you to understand a a very basic way to understand your Bible is promises made, promises kept. And so that's what we've been looking at last week into Christmas Eve is what promises has God made and what promises does he keep in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is all the promises that God makes to his people, right? And then the New Testament is all the ways that God fulfills and keeps them in his Son, And so we looked last week at the promise of the better Adam, right? We looked at Genesis 3, how sin enters human history. The first two humans that are made rebel against God. They don't want to be with God. They want to be God, right? Idolatry, the the greatest cosmic treason that exists. And they try to up usurp the throne of heaven, which you cannot do. They try to be God and run their own life the way they want to run it. Doesn't end well for them. They are uh, kicked out of the garden. It's amazing to see that in their uh, running and rebellion, God pursues them and calls them out of hiding. So 
uh, we've been talking about how this God is a God that you might have to tweak a little bit in your understanding. You might have to ditch the idea of God you have in your mind because the God of the Bible looks nothing like that. He's a God that pursues you in your rebellion. He's a God that comes after you in your sin. He's a God that relentlessly goes after sinners, bringing them back to a relationship with him through his son. And so we saw that as Jesus being the better Adam last week, and that's why we're going to see this week the promise he makes to Abram or Abraham and what, how Jesus fulfills that promise in the New Testament. Now, um, here's what's awesome. If you, if you look at your Bible and look at um, the scriptures and even the beginnings of the Bible in the book of Genesis, what you're going to see is um, the Bible is an amazing display, yes, of consistent rebellion against God, but also an amazing display of blessing and promise. Because as soon as humanity screws it up, what does God do? He pursues them. He goes after them. In the rebellion, he goes, I'm going to come. I'm going to send my son. He's going to crush the head of Satan, sin, and death, banish it forever. Darkness will be fully pushed back. I'm going to establish a new creation when all is said and done, and I'm going to indwell you with my Holy Spirit. Now, that promise is said is going to come through a son, right, who is the son of God, who's going to do all of this for us. But what happens is he comes later, this guy Abram, a little bit later in your Bible, flip over just a couple chapters, and he's going to show that this promised one's going to come through the line of Abram. Now, this is interesting because it's a ridiculous promise to this guy for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, he's in his 70s with his wife. Um, his wife is barren, can't conceive children. Um, he's a Babylonian citizen of a pagan nation, has a godless father, doesn't seem like the guy you'd pick for a genealogy representing the Son of God. And I love it because God comes to him and says, hey, um, this son, this deliverer promised in Genesis 3, he's going to come through your line. You're going to have lots of children. You're going to have descendants that number the stars. And guess what? I'm not doing it because you're awesome. I'm doing it because you're the most weak ghetto tribe out there. Because he loves to flex his glory through that which is weak and not strong. That's good news for us, if you can admit you're a sinner. Okay, so here we go. We're going to get to Genesis chapter 12, where everyone tries to deal with the problem of sin. If you read Genesis 1 to 11, that's all you see, not moral progress, moral regress. And then here we come with a great promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Look at what God says to him. Now, the Lord said to Abram, he'll be later Abraham, if you're wondering, it's the same guy, okay? Abraham is the plurality for lots of descendants. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you, you got to get in Abram's shoes, okay? He has had nothing going for him in life, let alone thinking, I'm not the guy that God probably wants to pick to show favor, show blessing. I have a godless father. I've got a nephew Lot that I just relieved from battle. He went through this crazy war. Melchizedek, this king of Jerusalem, which he visited. Uh, a lot of things are happening in his life. His wife cannot conceive. They're in their 70s, and he's going, you're telling me I'm going to have a kid. Seemingly ridiculous. You picked the wrong guy. This is the promised one back in Genesis 3 who's going to deliver his people from his, their sins. And God comes with this amazing, amazing promise. And this is why, again, some of us have to understand and maybe rethink how we think the God of the Bible. Because he not only comes in Genesis 3 and says, okay, I'm going to send a deliverer to screw up what you did, but I'm also going to send him now, Abram, through your line, through your descendants. And notice, it's God doing all of it. It's God initiating God's the one saying, I will bless, I will give a son, I will give you a great nation, I will give blessing. This is not Abram going, I think I want this. This is God going after him and showing him that despite him, he will use him. That's the good news of the scriptures. Now, why is this important? 
We said this last week because God seeks after man. God's the initiator. Listen, God's not lost. You and I are. God's not hiding. You and I are. God's revealed himself. We're not seeking God. We talk about the spiritualist says, yeah, I'm kind of just seeking after God. No, that's God pursuing you, calling you to himself, wooing you through his spirit. The reason some of you are in these seats today is because God's after you. Because God wants to call you to himself and show you the goodness of his name and renown. He wants to enjoy fullness of life that is found in him. And so here we see that in God seeking him, he says, Abram, don't worry, I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. People who I bless, who bless you, I'll bless, who curse you, I'll curse. He goes, "Um, take your family, head to the unknown, but just trust me. Believe. Trust the promise that I'm giving to you. So Abraham actually leaves. He travels to some different pagan cities. It's very interesting. He starts setting up altars, and they start seeing that, wow, this this God really is a good God, a a good king of the universe. And so people start trusting in this God, and that's where he meets Melchizedek. That's where he does a number of things. Then you get to Genesis chapter 15, where God comes again to him, and it's a number of years later. And he's basically going to show up again to Abram and go, hey, remember that promise? It's, It's coming. And look at what Abraham says. Genesis 15 verse 1 says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. That's after he's been walking, after he's been going through cities. He goes through Shem, wicked place, wicked city, sets up altars. People are trusting in God, the good God of the scriptures. And he says this, he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Okay, so um, here's what I want you to see in this promise. He's, he's an old man. He's been through a war with his, son, Lot, with his nephew Lot, who he delivers from that, left his family, left his security. Wife is barren, old age, probably in her 80s at this point, right? Almost 90s. And you can either trust my promise, Abram, or not trust it. I mean, I mean, this is fundamentally faith, right? God is going, look at me. I'll protect you. I'm your shield, right? I'm your reward. I'm the one you need. I'm your treasure. And then he reminds him of his promise back in chapter 12. Because Abram is struggling with his faith. It's been years and the promise hasn't happened. And he's wondering, is God trustworthy? Now, is this not the fundamental question that many of us ask? Is God trustworthy? Like, does he keep his promise? I thought he said he would do good to me and not harm. I thought he said that he would not let go of me who he saves. I thought he said that he was good to those who were his children. I thought that he said this. I thought that he said that. And what you see here is he is doubting. He's not denying God. He's doubting. This is not godless. This is godly. And he's going, God, I don't, I don't have a child yet, though. My wife's barren. I don't, I'm confused by this. Can you help me understand? Right? This, is a, this is a great practice of faith you're seeing in Abram. And, and he's just asking these questions. He's doubting the trustworthiness of God. He's struggling. He goes, I see no fulfillment. I see no land. I see no child. Here we are years later, and my wife Sarah is still barren. Understand here that there's a difference between doubt and denial. Um, many of us maybe are in places today where you're doubting. You're in a situation going, God, are you still good? God, are you still faithful to promises? Uh, God, are you still after me? God, do you still love me? God, are you still keeping me through the grace of Jesus Christ? Are you still for me? Are you still protecting me? Are you still my shield? Are you still my reward, right? There's this anguish going on in his heart. This is why Timothy says when we're faithless, he remains faithful, right? 
Um, he's the one that keeps us and initiates with us. And denial is turning your back on God totally. God, you're not good. God, you don't keep promises. God, you are not God. And Abram's, Abram's doubting. He's struggling, believing the promise. And look at what Abram does. This is a great example of faith. He doesn't turn his back on God. He runs to God in his trouble. Right? He runs to God. He cries out to him. Beautiful picture of faith. I'm struggling. Help me understand this. You said I get a son. If I die today, it's going to be my nephew, my next of kin. So that ain't going to happen. So uh, this is how this whole thing looks like it's going to roll out. So it doesn't seem like you're faithful to keep your promise. Right? He's, he's struggling deeply. He's basically saying, I don't know if you've said this, God, you're always late, right? No, God's always late, right on time. God's always late and right on time. That's what God is reminding him of. No, no, trust me, Abram. I keep my promise. What you see as late is right on time. What you see as confusing is absolutely clear. Because I've said it, it's you trusting in me, the shield and your great reward. It's not trusting on your timeline or circumstances. Remember, we serve a God that stands outside of time. He is not restrained by time. He not only knows the future, but stands in the future. That's great encouragement for the Christian, right? That, That we have a sovereign God, a God who's big enough to see the whole landscape, not just pieces and parts, but a deity, a God that says, I know all that will come to pass, and I will do all those things for the betterment and good of your soul and my glory and name and renown. And we love to be under that lordship. Because we can trust that type of God. And here is why that's so important. Um, when you see here, you got to notice he says, Oh, Lord God, when he calls out to God. That, that word, that phrase is basically where we really get sovereign God. The language there is this God of full authority. Not just appealing to Jehovah God, but the God who is Elohim, the God who exists over all things, the God who's in full control. Now, now here's why this is so important to see this. If you're not careful, right, um, the doctrine of faith, just your understanding of faith, is really uh, abused in our time, right? So, so, so we think that faith means that if we have enough faith, we can push God into our lane and do what we want in our time and our way, right? So that, that's what it is. So just, just have more faith, right? If you want more of this, if you want to do this, if you want to have more money, if you want your career to advance, just have faith about it so then you can push God into what you think is right in your way, your time, through your will, No, true faith is like Abraham going, I'm trusting in the sovereign God. There is only one God who can do all things. That's where I'm banking all my chips, okay? I'm not pushing my chips in on my limited view, right? I went to public school and I have a pea-sized brain. I can't can't know the future. God knows the future. He holds all things in his hands, so I'm going to trust in that God. This is why this separates Christianity from every other doctrine. No other deity is sovereign or in control. So how can you have faith in that deity if he can't do anything? Well, that's a great God to have faith in, one who can do nothing. And we have the faith in God of the Bible who can do all things, who does all things according to his perfect, pleasing will that we know is for our good and our joy. So we love to come under that. Faith is connected to the sovereign God, and this is why that's always the problem, is we're not the sovereign. We're not the God of gods. We're not the Lord of lords. We're not the king of kings. We are humanity. We're the created, not the creator. And so we submit ourselves to what he says, trusting the God who can do everything and anything. Look at verse 4. And God said to him again, this man shall not be your heir. He's going, trust me, 
Eliezer, he's not going to be your heir. I know it looks like he's next in line because he's your nephew, and that makes sense because you don't have any biological sons. But, but trust that I'm going to bring this to pass. And he brought him outside. I love this. He goes, hey, look up at the heaven, Abram. Count all the stars. It's a lot. Number them. He's going, one, two. No, I can't, right? Like, there's too many, right? He goes, number these stars. If you're able to number them, that's rhetorical. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Guys, the promise in Genesis 12 is the promise of Jesus Christ. He is the blessing. He is the one. He is the deliverer. God's going to send one to bless the world, to bless nations. He's going, look up at the stars. This is so beautiful. He goes, he will be your offspring who is a son. In other words, down the line, we'll have a son of God, right? And he's the one who's going to lift the curse of sin, Genesis 3, push back darkness, and make us back to the harmonious relationship that we were always meant to have with the God of the scriptures, right? We screwed it up. The whole world's fractured. The earth is fractured. Systems are fractured. Government's fractured. Our hearts are fractured. But this one's going to come and make all things right. It's going to be through your line. And he goes, hey, look up at the stars, man. Just try to count them. That's how many people I'm going to save, rescue, and redeem back into the fold of God. So every time you look up at the sky and see the stars, it's a reminder that God keeps his promise, that God is faithful, that God is good. It's a picture of the gravity of the love of God. And look at Abram's response, and this is huge. (laughs) Circle it. Look at what he says in verse 6, Old Testament, and Abram believed the Lord, or your translations say he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This should be underlined, highlighted, starred, bookmarked, because you see this text reverberate through the rest of the Old Testament, into the New Testament, into the church age today, through the Reformation, into our very seats. It all goes back to Abram, right? We don't just view his example, we model his example. His pattern of faith sets the pattern for all of us today as to how we are brought into the fold of God, as to how we're forgiven of our sins, as to how the curse can be lifted, as to how God could possibly give righteousness to sinful people. You trust by faith, you believe. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. He trusted God. Um, who do you believe? Who do you, who do you trust in? Who do you bank on to tell you the truths of heaven and hell, eternity, life, existence, affections, reason? Who do you believe? What do you put your trust in to tell you those things? This is the gospel, right? God speaks, we listen. God makes a promise, we trust him. Faith is trusting in the God of his word. That's what faith is. And what God has already said, that is what faith does for us. And listen, the point of his word, the point of his promise is always to point you to Jesus Christ where our very confidence and reliance is placed. Every promise that God makes gets to him. And the scriptures tell us that Abram believed God and it was credited as righteousness. It was, it was counted. That's like you go to your bank and you show up and you had like a dollar in there or zero or negative. I mean, if you're going scripturally, right, you've got negative. So you don't need to just be brought to positive and forgiveness. You need an account that's credited infinite, infinite righteousness. And you open up your account, you've got infinite dollars. Well, how'd that get in there? Someone credited you that to your account. You didn't ask for it. You didn't do anything for it. That God graciously came into your spiritual bank and credited you infinite righteousness. 
Um, this is why it's so important to understand we don't just need to be forgiven of sin, right? Um, you've heard justification, just as if I never sinned. That's not enough, right? You need to be given righteousness. Uh, just as if I never sinned still leaves you at zero. Uh, you don't get the gates of glory with that. You don't get relationship with God with that. You need to get beyond just as if I never sinned to being as righteous as God himself who dwells in infinite perfections. And the good news is none of us can do that. Doesn't matter how many works you do, how many times you feed the homeless, mow your neighbor's lawn, take the trash out. Doesn't matter if you don't cuss or don't drink or you come to church for 52 weeks of the year. Doesn't matter if God does not intervene and gift you righteousness outside of you. And that's the good news here is Abram from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, lays out the groundwork for us to see that this is how righteousness can be given. What good news for us. I love this. He sets the Christian faith apart. Every other system will tell you, be righteous and God will grant you faith through merits and works and goodness and achievements. The God of the Scriptures and the Bible says, no, um, you can't be righteous, trust in the God who is, and he'll give it to you because you have none to bring. And this is amazing that God does this for us. Some people say, where do I get my righteousness? From him. Well, how do I get it? What do I do? Nothing. Trust him. Well, I thought I needed to be good. No, you need to be forgiven. And the God says here, this is how I'm going to do this. And you'll say, well, how are you going to do this? I'm sending Jesus. I'm sending my son for you. And Abram believed God would send Jesus to forgive his sin. It was the faith in that promise that righteousness was credited to Abram. That Jesus would be the son of God. Jesus is coming. I believe it. Old Testament people, Old Testament saints are saved in the future belief of Jesus Christ. Us in the present church age are saved in the past work of Jesus Christ. Everyone who is in heaven is saved by looking at the cornerstone of everything, which is Jesus Christ and his righteousness that's given to us and we could not earn it at all on our own. And it's a beautiful truth. Now, I love this. You're going to see this throughout the New Testament. You, you, you've got to, you, you see it in Romans, Galatians, James. Look at Paul in Romans 4. Look at what he says. Uh, what then shall we say? This is after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the promised one from Abram. Look at what Paul says about this offspring that came to reconcile us to God. What shall then we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, in other words, declared righteous by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I love it, Paul going, okay, here's the age-old debate. Here's the big debate. How are people saved? How are people forgiven? How are people made right with God? How are people reconciled? How is this whole thing that was screwed up in Genesis 3 made right? And Paul goes, I got a great idea. Anybody got a Bible? Anybody got a verse? Anybody want to go to the scriptures? Hey, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 15, Genesis chapter 12, when God came and talked to Father Abraham, right? All you guys believe in Father Abraham, had many sons, right? We've all sang it since we were little. Hey, go all the way back to him, and what did he do to earn his way? Nothing. If he did, he has something to stand at the gates of heaven and boast about. No, he believed God. He trusted. It's by faith. So all of us follow the pattern of faith that Abraham had. You don't work to get it. You trust in a God who gifts, your right, gifts his own righteousness to you. Profound. You aren't saved by your works, but by the work of Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of work to be done for a sinner to be forgiven, but you can't do that. God has to do the work for you. 
And he does it gladly, graciously, lovingly, intentionally, ferociously for you while you were in your rebellion and sin. I love it. He wasn't waiting for you to kind of get cute, think church was a good idea, maybe I'll say some prayers. Man, he, he came after you when you were at your worst. And, and you can sit here and go, well, I've got achievements, I've got glory. That's great. He says even those will be nothing on the day of judgment. We get to glorify Christ for his righteousness being given to us so we're freed from the very things that enslave us. Because if you place your identity, your worth in anything outside of him, it will always betray you. I mean, how's that going? I mean, your spouse will always betray you. I'm not saying you don't have a wonderful spouse. I love my wife, but she makes a terrible God. She does not, she's not a savior. Um, my work, my vocation, your achievements, man, those things will betray you left and right and ultimately leave you unsatisfied, constantly hitting the ceiling, and Jesus Christ removes the ceiling so you can be found in him and have identity of infinite worth in the Son of God who gives you righteousness you could not have, puts you in a family that is perfect with a perfect father and says, you are mine, and you will find no other unshakable place to put your feet so we run to him, and then we do all that we do for his glory and for our joy. God rewires us in that way. Look at Galatians 3. Look what Paul says. This is to the church in Galatia, another totally separate place. Um, just as Abraham believed God, going back to Genesis 15, 6, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham, when he got his promise, actually was preached the gospel, man. It wasn't just, hey, there's a descendant line that's gonna bring some mysterious deliverance. No, Jesus Christ is gonna crush the head of Satan. Yeah, might get your heel. He'll, he'll die for three days. He'll rise again, validate it all, stand triumphantly. We told in Colossians says it will put them to public shame, make them a spectacle as to how they have no authority over the God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, who comes back to life and lifts the curse we could not lift, brings back to life which we could not bring back to life which is dead. And he reigns and rules and gets celebrated for all of it. He says, this God does this. And look at this, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Wow, not just an Israel thing, but a global thing. This message, this truth is going to reverberate to the ends of the earth. We're going to see to every tribe, tongue, nation. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you rely on works of the law, you're under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide to all things written in the book of law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I love it. Paul says again, hey guys, this is how it's always been. God has always ordained faith as the way that you are saved. Like nothing changed. It started with Abraham. You see it in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and it continues, right? You can even look back at Noah where he was shown grace, shown saving faith through his trust in God. It was never because you did something in your own that made you right before him. And it's amazing to see Paul lay it out so clearly here that God preached the gospel to Abraham, and this is the way everyone else will do it. Listen, no one has ever pulled it off. 
right? I mean, if, if we think we're going to be the first person in human history to pull it off and never break a single commandment or law, we're crazy. And he goes, and even if you try to do that, he goes, you're actually increasing the curse, right? That's like, you get pulled over, right? Officer, I promise, I've never sped in my life. I've never gone 105 out of 25 ever, right? He's going to be like, moron, you, that's, you're going to kill people, right? I mean, no, you broke the law. You're increasing the trespass. Why in the world would you use that as a reason for me to let you off? I've, I've never stolen anything. I've, I promise I've never cheated before. I've never, because you're just increasing the trespass. He goes, that's silliness. For us thinking that God could not possibly save us is just as self-righteous as us thinking that we're too good and do not need his sacrifice. And that's why the gospel is a great dividing line that lays every soul bare regardless of who you are and says all are welcome to the table by faith. All are welcome to have righteousness by faith. Not based on your class, not based on your achievements, not based on your family lineage, not based on your baggage and his baggage and her baggage, not based upon any of that. Based upon one who stands outside of you so that even when you blow it, God celebrates his son in you. And that's a glorious thing to know. That's a glorious thing to walk in. And this is the promise of Christmas morning for us, right? The Genesis 3 curse will be lifted and pushed back. Forgiveness will be received, not by anything you did, but if you follow the pattern of Abraham and just trust by faith that God does that for you. This is why um, in the life, death, and resurrection, you see the offer goes out to all men and women everywhere. It's not just Abraham's descendants, it's descendants across the globe. Gentiles, those who are not Jewish people by lineage, still get to receive God's saving work. Um, This is why I think if you go to John chapter 8, it's amazing if you read the Gospels, all the religious guys are always fighting with Jesus. And, and they're, they're, they're having this moment where they're fighting with Jesus, and Jesus basically is bringing up this topic again, and they're all upset because they think that it's all about the descendants, plural, not descendant, singular. Now, if you keep reading Galatians, you'll see him say, hey, it was all about the offspring, not offsprings, right? You'll you see that if you keep reading in Genesis, Galatians 3, right where you are. Okay, so he, he brings this to light, and he says, okay, hold on. All you guys think, because here's what they were all saying. Hey, we're privileged because we're all descendants of Abraham. And Jesus goes, no, no, your dad's Satan. Not good, all right? You never want your dad to be called Satan. So, so he, he says, no, it's not Satan. Then they go, oh, no, 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 but, but it says all his descendants will be blessed. And Jesus says, well, if it was descendants, plural, then uh, you would trust me. You would honor me. Um, who's greater than Abraham? Um, I am before Abraham ever was. I am Yahweh. I am God. I am greater than Abraham. And what do they say? Blasphemy, and this guy's claiming to be God. And Jesus goes, well, I am. You see this throughout. This is the issue. And Jesus continually, clearly, emphatically shows that it is always done by faith and not lineage and not line and not family history. That you must place your faith in something outside. The offer extends to the ends of the earth. God's promise is that men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation would be brought into a family of God and made one, not by skin color, not by ethnicity, not by where they live, not by socioeconomic status, solely by the work of Jesus Christ, which is why we've been praying for years since we started four years ago that this church would look like heaven. It would example heaven by the ways that different tribes, tongues gather here to show there's something else at work. It's not us just getting together 
wanted to be, you know, harmonious and, and look the same and act the same and eat the same. No, we are a part of a family of God that's centered on a Jesus Christ that purchases you and makes you blood-bought citizens and brothers and sisters with people from all tribes and tongues and nations. That's why Jesus will be the better Abraham because he does not just have descendants of one line. He has descendants of every single tribe, tongue, and place. We, we celebrate that because it brings all of humanity back as one in the way that God intended it to be post the fallen paradise with one race. That's a good word for us with our hearts in this day and age that we lean into brothers and sisters because we've been made one family through the promise of Abraham. So we don't dare look at others with discontent or contempt Yet we lean into that and say, man, how can I further flourish as a child of God because God has uniquely wired us as a family? That it's so beyond culture and, and, and what people say should be and should feel and look like. Man, the gospel does something beautiful. The gospel makes a people new. It doesn't just make them nicer. It doesn't just make them moral. What, a ter- what terrible news. Hey, you got to be nicer. you got to be better. <laughs> gospel's not about that. It's about transformation making you totally, completely new. And that's why he says this is good news and a promise that will spread. And we're seeing God fulfill the ridiculous promise to Abraham in our day right here in Paramus, New Jersey. That's what's amazing. You're, you're sitting in your seat as a reflection, as an answer to God's promise to Abraham that this would spread to the ends of the earth. Habakkuk says all the way as the waters cover the entire globe. Amazing. Here's the promise. We'll end with this. Here's the great promise kept, right, on Christmas morning. Jesus was the better Adam last week. Jesus is the better Abraham in every way. And you can just walk through this, right? We sin, Genesis 3. Promise is made. God says a deliverer is coming. He's going to crush the head of Satan, fully eradicate Satan's sin and death. He's going to do it for us in a way that we could not do it ourselves. Righteousness will be given. Hey, where's this deliverer coming from? He shows up to Abram and says, hey, it's going to come through your line. You're going to have a son who's 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 going to have a son. Get all the way to Matthew chapter 1, genealogy of Christmas morning. He's a descendant of Abraham, right? Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. You have here, amazing, both sons are born in miraculous ways. Sarah, barren, could not conceive. Mary, young teenage virgin, expected to never conceive and never been intimate. Both of them miraculously give forth a son. Jesus Christ starts his ministry just as Abram was called by God, right? Called by God to say, hey, leave everything, leave your family, leave all that you know, and go trust me. Hold my hand. Then you have Jesus telling his disciples the same thing, Leave your nets, drop all that you know, and come and follow me. Yet he leads them into something much greater than Abraham. He leads them into himself. He leads them into the glory that he would purchase for himself on the cross. As you look at Abraham going throughout pagan cities, setting up altars, right, shedding blood of animals, right? Jesus Christ goes throughout pagan cities and preaches the same gospel. God is good, yet he doesn't make an altar. He becomes the altar for you and lays himself upon it as the blood, the perfect blood that was necessary for forgiveness of sin and has himself killed and crucified for us in our place as our sin. You continue to see as you walk through that Abraham was promised to have a family and that it would be a blessing. And Jesus takes the sin from not just one lineage, but all tribes, tongues, nations who would trust in his name and makes them blessed in his name. 
He makes them new. He makes them forgiven. And just as Abraham was promised land, you will have land that will be promised for you. What's amazing is at the end of all time, all human history, right, the scriptures say that a book will be open. It won't be the book of Genesis, but the book of Revelation, and he will read from it, not just descendants, but those who receive the promised land, heaven forever, and it will contain the names of all those who are not born by natural birth, but rebirth in Jesus Christ, who receive all the land that is promised. Jesus is the center of everything. All of your hopes need to be in Jesus. All of your dreams need to be in Jesus. All of your longings and affections need to be in Jesus. He is the center of everything that exists, the center of the scriptures, the center of your existence. All that was done was so that Jesus might be preeminent. Jesus might be seen. Jesus might be exalted. That's why we love him here, unashamedly, because we believe that he is our great savior. Now, um, why is this encouraging? Some of you guys come from super jacked up family lines. Some of you come from abusive families. Um, Some of you come from unbelieving families. Some of you come from separated families. Um, Here's the encouragement. If you read the Bible, um, God and Jesus are always the bookends. You know what's in the middle? Sinner. (laughs) So you've got... God, right, preaching the gospel, Genesis 3, and they got sinner, 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 all the way do you get to Jesus. He's the only one who's righteous. He's the one who's going to do it. He's the only one who's going to actually mend what went wrong. So you can start, and you can look at, listen, big people, not the hidden people in the Bible, go to Adam, right? I mean, patriarchs. This guy's responsible for, for the fallen humanity, right? We all have original sin because of Adam, right? He has paradise in the garden, and he screws it up, right? This is, this is Adam who eventually, right, Jesus becomes the better Adam. You have Abraham, the father of our faith. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews. He's the one who is given this promise that the deliverer would come through his line. Man, he's an adulterer. He tries to give away his wife twice, You got all this. You got David, right? I mean, the the king of Israel, the one who's a man after God's own heart, right? Who still commits adultery and and has the the, the father killed in uh, in battle. You have all these different weird lines of people. Noah, I mean, the guy who was was promised to be delivered from a flood because he had faith and God showed him grace and he gets off the boat. He's lying naked in his tent, drunk. I mean, you've got a God who loves to save you despite you. Like, you, you have a God of the Bible, if you read it, who loves to pursue you in your brokenness and your sin and your fracture and all that is the mess that exists in your life so that all that you think couldn't possibly be made right could be made right in him, not by you improving yourself or changing the past, but making him everything in your own life to establish himself in your past, in your present, in your future. You need Christ. So you can just keep reading down the line at all of these people people who did heinous sins, yet God is shown as glorious. That's why it never depends on you, but always depends on him. So listen, the encouragement is, if you think you've got baggage or a family line, or you've got this, or God couldn't possibly forgive this, I'm saying that's just as self-righteous as the man who says, I'm too good and don't need him. Because self-pity gets you nowhere. It gets you farther. So might that encourage some of you? Maybe some of you think God's limited to your baggage. You, you think his saving work, the promise in Genesis 3, and then to Abram in Genesis 12 is, is limited to your experience? It's limited to sins? It's limited to, just look at the patriarchs of the faith. Uh, God demonstrated crazy, scandalous love, not because of them. 
Not because they had their life cleaned up, but because he cleaned up their life for them when they couldn't. And he gifted his righteousness to them. Where are you finding your worth this morning? Where are you finding your worth that will betray you? It won't last forever. Is it your career? Is it your resume? Is it your family looking a certain way? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Where are you looking for stability? What's the treadmill you're on that you're exhausted in chasing? Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. My burden is light while your burden's really heavy. And it's mostly because what we're trying to do is earn some type of merit in our actions so we get off that and stand on Jesus and enjoy Jesus. God came for the needy, the sick. Why don't we ask God for help today? Know that the good news of Christmas morning is not some temporary band-aid, but a literal transformation of your heart, mind, and soul that allows you to be reconciled to a God who made you to enjoy him, who made you to glorify his name. And maybe for some of you, that's why your life is not where it is. Because you realize that that in itself is sin, placing anything ultimate over him. And the good news is, is he's after your joy, brothers and sisters. So he knows that when you find your full identity and worth in him, you will be most satisfied. He wants to free you from you. Let's ask him for help. God, thank you that Christmas morning means so much more than presents and lights and trees. Thank you that you give us gifts and wirings, Lord, not to terminate on ourselves, but to ultimately bend upwards to you. God, thank you that you created us to be a people that worship something, God. Some of us are worshiping everything but you, believing that that thing on our altar will consistently cure the ache in our souls. Would you get us out of the cul-de-sac this morning of chasing treasures that don't satisfy, of chasing cisterns that are empty and broken on the bottom that hold no water? Father, would you show us the beauty this morning that you are not limited to family lines, that you create a new family, that you adopt your kids and make them your heir, you say, that we can have you as the perfect parent, the one who leads and loves his family without fault. God, would some by faith trust you this morning and be made new through the work of your son? God, would you help those this morning who might be um, struggling with the burden of failure and feeling total inadequacy? Would you remind them in this moment that that's exactly where you want us? That we are totally inadequate, totally unable to earn or achieve any righteousness apart from you? Would you make them one of yours today? God, for those who are confused and trying to find clarity, would you clear up what needs to be cleared up? God, would you help us as a church to be a people that model the faith of Abram, that live by faith and hold unwaveringly to a God who justifies, who makes right before you, who, who mends what is broken solely based upon Jesus? And I pray that would be such good news to us. Show us our blind spots. Show us where we need more of you. May Christmas season be something that reverberates and lasts long after the trees put away and lights are taken down this year. 
May we continue to treasure you and rejoice in you and love you and serve like you. As we take the supper, might we be nourished by the saving benefits of Jesus that he takes us and puts us in a new family, adopted as his children, made as one through you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.